Okay, my name is Carla Chestnut, and I am on staff at Orchard Hill Church in Cedar Falls here, and I get to partner in ministry with Carter Moore and Megan Barnes and Jenny Nelson and a bunch of other really great people, and with all of you, that is pretty amazing that that's what I get to do every day. I'm married to Sean. Uh, we have a really fun family. I think they're on the screen here, or they will be in a minute. So that's us. We have five kids living at home right now, and then, so they're... Ellie and Nick and Anna and Hope and Gabe and then did I say everybody yeah and then uh, we have our daughter Teresa she doesn't live at home anymore but she has a family and they live in town here my beautiful granddaughters and we are and she is going to have a little boy in May so we're super excited to welcome a new member to the family so we're in the middle of a series called love does and then the tagline for it is let's not just talk about love but put love into action. And Carter, um, Carter talked to us last week and read out of the book of Isaiah, and it became pretty clear that God gets really tired of just a lot of religious activity. If the, all that's happening is religious activity, God had some really serious things to say to people. And at the end of the, of the night, Carter also read a verse from 1 Corinthians where it said that if you do all of these religious things, but you don't have any love, they're not motivated by love, they're not coming out of love, you're like a, a clanging symbol, and you just went to town on the symbol. So we're going to pick up and continue in that um, vein tonight. So the Bible says that God is love, and therefore, love in action for us means Jesus in action. So if we want to know what it looks like, we need to look at what Jesus said, what Jesus did, who Jesus is, and what he's doing in the world. So we're going to start out tonight by looking at a piece of scripture that happened at really early in Jesus' ministry. He was sitting in church on the Sabbath, and he just got up, grabbed a scroll, went to the front of the room, opened it, and read it, and this is what it said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, this is Jesus talking, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is how the, the message says it. God's Spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor, sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. So I like that uh, in, uh, the way it says it's God's year to act. That's really good. And then a cool thing that the Bible says after this is, then Jesus folded up the scroll, put it away, and went and sat down. And then he said, what I just said, that's me. It's about me. So Jesus is beginning to unfold what he, who he is and what he's doing in the world. And that's exciting. So I want to look at one other story uh, from Jesus at, when he was walking around on earth, and it's found in Luke uh, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, and it starts like this. So again, this is Jesus talking. He, I don't know where, I don't remember if he's in the temple or if he's just out in the community, but some of his disciples, his really close friends are with him, and some of the religious leaders of the day are with him, and this is what he says. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So there was a guy who was really, really well-dressed. 
Have you guys ever been in a store? Like, when I go in a store, I pretty much head for the clearance rack, right? 70% off. But I was on vacation this uh, over Christmas, and I went to this very swanky mall, and I headed to the clearance rounder, and things were 70% off, and like a sweatshirt was still $175. So crazy. That was kind of like, whoo. So this guy is wearing the $175 sweatshirt. And it was really nice, but that doesn't have anything to do with this. So, rich man, dressed in purple and fine linen. Purple really was kind of about royalty back then. And lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. So, we have to pause for a minute and think about what does luxury really mean? And what does luxury every day mean? And I was thinking about it and came up with this. I think it would be something like there aren't a lot of worries. There aren't a lot of worries of where your food's going to come from or where your water's going to come from or where you're going to sleep that night. It probably means that you have a great deal of security, comfort, and a lot of really good things. Good food, maybe good wine, good art, good golf, people to do the things that you don't really want to do. It means power and prestige and privilege. People look up to you. Maybe it means the newest Apple product right when it hits the market, maybe even before it hits the market, which would be nice. The best schools, the best opportunities, excellence, respect, admiration, and maybe even the envy of others. So that's one camp. This is the man, the very well-dressed man, and he's living in luxury every day. And then we have Lazarus. He's a beggar. He's covered with sores. He would consider the leftovers from the rich guy's lunch, maybe even breakfast, like a feast. It would be a feast for him. Now remember, Jesus is telling this story. And Jesus like created the world and everything in it. And Jesus is God. And Jesus is walking around. And Jesus is telling the story. And that's what I think is really interesting about the thing that he says next. He says, even the dogs came and licked the sores of the man. So that's kind of weird. Why did Jesus add that? That's, it feels like maybe a sitcom or something, right? Was he trying to be funny? Or I wonder if there were a bunch of people around him when he was telling the story, and maybe because the beggars knew that Jesus would be kind to them, maybe there were some people off on the edges, and maybe he looked over and it was actually happening. But I think the important thing for us is that Jesus was well acquainted with real life, with just the realities of what it means to be on this earth and to live, and he wasn't confused, and he wasn't out of touch, and I can kind of relate to that, because I have a dog, and if you know me very well, I really like to be outside in the summer, and I like, well, I like to be outside in the summer, but I'm a poison ivy magnet, so every year I get a ridiculous amount of poison ivy, either on my legs or my face. This year I had it on my armpit, and if you know about poison ivy, you know that it starts with like a blister. If, you have a, if you're queasy about stories, you might want to just check out for a minute. It'll be okay. Um, but it starts with like a blister, and then it starts to get this little like clear yellow liquid that comes out of the blister. And then sometimes by the end of the day, if you're not paying very much attention, you've got a little crusty crust on your leg. <laughs> and... 
uh, my dog is, I'm his favorite person. I'm not really sure why, but if I sit down somewhere, my dog is going to come and immediately sit beside me and start licking my Krusty Crust Poison Ivy and even going like this a little bit, like when he gets to the crusty part. So I can't allow that because that's gross and my people have a fit. But it's real life. Jesus knows what he's talking about. All right, back to the story. Wow. I did run that by my children if I could tell that story first. So Lazarus is laid at the gate of the rich man. And I think the gate is a really interesting element to the story. So why do you think the gate's there? What is the purpose of the gate? So I really want you to think about that and just throw a few reasons why you think the gate is there. Just yell them out. To keep beggars out. Yeah. Protection. Yeah, definitely. Security, protection, to keep beggars out. Why would you want to keep beggars out if you're living a life of luxury every day? Because they might steal from you. They're dirty. Yeah. Why else? Why else would the gate be there? Ooh, maybe, yeah. At least you don't want to think about it, right? If you're inside leading a life of luxury. What would happen to the man if the gate was gone? What could happen to his life? I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about, like, if the man and his wife were having a dinner party or something, and the gate was closed, everybody had come in, and they were all having a really good time, and it was really, really nice. And all of a sudden, some of his guests saw this guy walking up the driveway, because there wasn't a gate there, and they were like, oh, there's a guy walking up the driveway. And, oh, wow, he is in bad shape. He even, oh, wow, he's in really bad shape. And, oh, some dogs are following him. So you're thinking about the dinner party and what they're doing. Then the guy stops, maybe to catch his breath for a minute, and the dogs are licking his sores, and the guests are seeing this. What begins to happen to luxury when the gate comes down and Lazarus comes walking up the driveway? It's kind of opposite of luxury, isn't it? It gets in the way of how people are living and what they have to think about and what they can concentrate on. Lazarus uh, is a beggar. He has hungry eyes, maybe drooling lips. He wants to get just the scraps and the garbage from the dinner party. Uh, When poverty, disease, people covered in in sores enter luxury, it isn't really luxury anymore. It's more like real life. And, you know, we can, we could talk about this story for a really, really super long time because it's deep and it has lots of symbolism, but we want to remember that, like, every one of us is living in luxury every day if you're sitting in this room, and um, that's just interesting for me to think about. Like, what are, what's my gate? You know, what are the gates that keep either things that I have to think about out or people out or things that aren't quite, like, nice and clean and neat? So let's go on with the story. The time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. Notice the rich man doesn't address Lazarus. He still doesn't see Lazarus, just like all those years he didn't see Lazarus outside his gate. Just interesting. But Abraham replies, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. 
And besides all this, I think this is fascinating. And, and remember, this is Jesus telling a story. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And then the rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. And then Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And then the rich man says, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And then Father Abraham says to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So that's a really depressing story. It's just a depressing story. Lazarus has a horrible life and then gets to have a beautiful eternity. The rich man has a great life of luxury every day and then endures an agony of eternity. What is Jesus doing? Why is he telling the story? What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And um, I'm going to be really honest with you. Like, I have in the past thought about this story and kind of thought of it as Jesus is trying to paint a picture of reality, of, like, how it is, so that we know that, like, heaven and hell is really serious. And at other times I've thought, you know, you sow what you reap. It sucks to be you, rich guy, but you were really a jerk. But when I think about it, that doesn't that isn't work very well in how I, how I think about Jesus and who I think um, Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. So I think Jesus is telling the story about the, that this isn't the way things have to be. This isn't the way things have to end. There doesn't have to be a winner and a loser. There doesn't have to be, uh, Lazarus doesn't need to spend his life suffering at the gate of the rich man, and the rich man doesn't have to spend eternity suffering. It doesn't have to be either win-lose or it doesn't have to be lose-lose. Like both of them don't have to have a sucky life. And then both of them go have a great eternity. So what's going on here? And I think the idea that it doesn't have to end this way is what's really amazing that Jesus is trying to say. And I think as I look at the story today and as I've been thinking about it, I think the gate is the whole deal, right? Because the gate is what's making the separation. And when we watch this vi these videos about Shorty and Seti, the thing that's so amazing is like we get this weird opportunity, even though we never get to meet, to be together to help each other, to encourage each other, and to learn from each other. And the gate always is going to keep the rich man from being able to do that with Lazarus. So I want to read you one more story. And this is Jesus talking again. And he, this is in John 10, verse 1. And it says this. And this first part's confusing, but just hang in there. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own sheep, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So Jesus used this figure of speech. This is the Bible talking now. Um, but the Pharisees didn't understand what was going on, and I don't understand either. So then Jesus says this, and this is cool. Very truly, I tell you. And anytime Jesus says very truly, I tell you, it just means you, this is really important. So listen, I am the gate for the sheep. The sheep are my people. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I think that is a really cool word when you think about it. You think about what does it mean to go through the gate that's Jesus and find pasture 
versus maybe a life of everyday luxury. Pasture, pasture is really a different kind of word picture than luxury. And then he goes on and he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So I think this is a really cool switch up that Jesus does about the gate. And if we think about the Lazarus story and we think about the gate and how it separates the rich man from Lazarus, and in the end it separates him from God for eternity, and then Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the one that you get to go in and you get to go out of. And at the beginning of the, of when Jesus was beginning his ministry, and he says, I've come to set the prisoners free. I've come to make the blind see. It's so cool when you think about the gate actually was blinding the rich man. He couldn't see Lazarus. He couldn't see that he was like trapped by his own luxury and his own wealth and his own, probably the way he felt about himself. So I don't know, as you think about being a person who puts love into action, what does it mean that Jesus is the center of that? He's the center of us being able to be a loving people, to be people who care about each other and love each other and, and focus on others rather than on ourselves all the time. I think that is really cool. So Jesus is the gate, and we get to go in and we get to go out, and we get to find pasture, which is life, and then we get to have a full and meaningful life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I wonder what it would have been like to be standing in the crowd when you told a really weird story like the rich man and Lazarus. I um, wonder what I would have thought if I would have thought that you were really interesting and intriguing but really confusing. I wonder if I would have been um, like irritated that you were talking about me, that I was the rich man, or I wonder if I would have felt like the beggar and I wonder if, if I felt like the beggar, if I would have said, you tell him, Jesus, or if I would have said, finally, finally, somebody's going to set things right. Somebody's going to uh, bring us together. Somebody's going to lift up love. And God, that's what we want to do. Today, we want to understand really clearly that we are both the rich man and the beggar, and we want to understand that you're the gate, and we want to go in and out through you. We want to learn from you. We want to learn to love people. We want to learn to care for people. We want to, uh, we want to have courage that it might mess up our luxury a little bit. It might threaten our comfort. It might even bring us danger sometime. It might make us uncomfortable. But the other side of the gate that's you is really good. And we will be able to meet interesting people who live life and experience life really different than we do. So help us to be courageous people. Help us to remember that it's all about you and the, bre and the best way that we can give you glory and give you praise is by loving others. It's the best way that we can bring you glory. Um, help us to do that. Help us to care enough and then help us to figure out what it looks like to be a people who love really well. In Jesus' name, amen.